uh, as it is quite frigid. And so we're grateful that each of you are able to be here with us this morning and uh, worship the Lord. It's getting a little wacky. I was thinking to myself on the way in, it's cold outside, but it's going to get hot up in here, you know, and uh, somebody made fun of me, as they rightly should. So, uh, yeah. Um, go in and out of seasons like this, but lately I've been thinking a lot about uh, some ultimate questions. Been thinking a lot about uh, like who is in, who is significant. We have so many people in our lives and uh, so many things to do. So. In the mess of all that, I've just been asking, like, who is significant? And the answer has been very clear. It's God is. I'm not. It's easy to make ourselves so significant, so important. I think the Lord has just been impressing on me that He is significant. And that really, at the end of the day, there's nothing more significant for me uh, than him, my relationship to him. Also, I've uh, been asking the question that what is important? What is important? And uh, the sense I'm getting in the season, and I think the scriptures teach as well, is that people are. People are important. Not things, not the temporal joys that this world offers, especially as we give and take it during Christmas time. But the greatest gifts that we have, the most important uh, gift that we have are, are people, relationships. What is valuable? Life, right? Life is a valuable thing. It's you, so valuable that you can't really quantify it. It's invaluable, at least in our own human terms. So really it's God, it's people, it's life, relationships, the connection that we have to other people's lives and with God. That's it. And so as we start the new year, I don't know where your mind is, but that's where my mind is turning. All the things that bother me and concern me, and I think are pressing and important. It's just a wake-up call that life is valuable, people are important. God is significant. And I think it's important to emphasize that, especially given uh, the loss that people are facing in our congregation, the suffering that they're enduring, that there are some in our midst, many uh, as it grows, uh, that are suffering the pain of loss or soon to lose someone in their life that they love very much, right? Life has its value in that moment when you see it gone, or at least in the moment uh, death has come to uh, us face to face. So over the last couple months, just again, not reviewing every situation, but the ones that just glare at us, you see Olivia O'Neill, someone who had been a part of our congregation, unexpectedly see her husband pass away and leaving her with a couple children and a newborn baby. We were informed uh, last weekend that Lena Augustus had lost her brother unexpectedly at the young age of 40. And so they've been in Indiana all week uh, just walking through that. Um, and uh, we know that Bob and Deb Steves uh, lost a daughter this week in her mid-30s, Kirsten. And that is the sister of Tricia, Callie, and uh, the mother of uh, Zoe and Tyler Porter, uh, the two children that were baptized last year. And uh, the father, Tyler, has been also attending here often, regularly. So these are many people right here in our midst that are suffering great loss. And so it would be a grave mistake to not just recognize the pain and, and suffering and affliction that people we love 
are wrestling with. And not to mention our brother Dan Andrianos, who's here this morning, has been informed that his father is going into hospice care tomorrow. Is that, am I correct in saying that? And so again, this is the season we find ourselves in. And uh, our hope and our joy in the midst of this is that God is very much present with us. He's here with us. He's not abandoned us. And so uh, in the midst of these difficult moments, we turn to Him. We turn to Him knowing and trusting that He is not turned away from us. Right? The Romans says, uh, why am I bringing this up really? It, obviously it's appropriate, just what we're facing. But I think it's important for us as a congregation to obey the commands of Scripture when people walk through these difficult times, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Right? Weep with those who weep. And of course, our prayers are with them. Thoughtful of Paul's words to the Corinthians as he praises God, right? The Psalms say, praise the Lord in all circumstances. So even in the midst of this circumstance, we give praise to God. And so Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So many of you in a different time have walked through difficult uh, affliction, afflictions. And so now, remembering the comfort that you had received from God, I think we're called to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort that we have received from God. And I love how Paul ends this. He says, our hope for you is unshaken. And so as we look at one another in the eyes, as we pray, and as we hug, and as we minister to one another, may our hope for one another be unshaken while we walk through very difficult times, running to God as our refuge and strength. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Can we pray for these folks? Can we pray for these people? Can we lift up the brothers and sisters who are wrestling with affliction, who are dealing with despair, who are wrestling with the ultimate questions of life, like what is significant, what is important, what really matters, what is valuable? Can we pray that God would comfort them? Can we do that now? Let's weep with those who weep. Let's have an unshaken hope for those whose circumstances seem to shake them. And let's call upon the, our God and Father of mercy. Let's do that together. Father of mercy, God of all comfort, we come to you for our brothers and sisters, uh, the O'Neill family, the Augustuses, Bob and Deb Steves, the Callies, the Porters, the Mack family, as I forgot to mention earlier, the Andrianos family. It's these dear people, these dearly loved people, that you would just minister your comfort, your presence, your mercy, your grace, that you would just pour it out infinitely so that they would know that while this is real, and this is painful, and this is difficult, that you are with them. That you understand what it is like to lose someone in death that you love, your one, your one and only son. That you know what they feel, and that you are merciful, and that you are pouring out your comfort. And I pray even now that the body of Christ would be that. Renovation Church, and all of Christ's people that know them and love them would uh, see what's necessary and good in this time for them. That we would serve them. 
that we would give to them, that we would bow the knee for them, that we would cry out to the Father of mercies for their comfort, that we would be ready, willing, and available to do anything that is necessary to lift them up and support them. But, oh God, may we recognize together that at the end of the day, you are our shepherd. You are our shepherd. And in you, we have everything that we need. I pray that for every person walking through these afflictions, that they would not just know that as a verse they've memorized, but a truth that pervades every aspect of their existence right now. That they would feel your watch care, your protection, that you would guard and protect and preserve their soul as they walk down this path of affliction. Oh God, be merciful, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. It's hard, but it's good, right? It's good to seek the Lord for the people that we love. What is important? What is significant? What is valuable to us? Questions we're asking in life, especially as it is lost with those that we love, but it's also a question that we're asking as a congregation entering into our, uh, really coming up on five years this summer, this is our fifth January together, we know this, that seasons of ministry, that people that have come and gone, that it's easy to get distracted, it's easy for the vision to get foggy, it's easy for us to forget why we're here, what's important, what's valuable, what we're trying to get at, what our purpose is. And so we're in a series right now called Why Reno? Right? Why Renovation Church? And the emphasis really is on our mission. And last week we asked the question, Why Reno? And we answered it in the most ultimate of senses, of senses for the glory of God. Renovation Church exists not just in cliche, but in reality for the glory of God. So that God would receive the credit the affirmation, the acknowledgement, and the recognition that He alone deserves. That's why we are here. That's the end game. For the glory of God. But if you look back at the map, which I had you do last week, which I said that wasn't on the map, but there's two other phrases back there, and that's back by Jason Dewey. We're looking at you, Jason, right now, baby, and Ethan. It says, mobilizing all of Christ's people. Right? And so today we turn our attention to that. We're asking the question, why Reno? And we're getting at that idea that there's something about what we do and why we do it and who we do it with in the lives of Christ's people that is important and valuable and significant and central to our purpose. That God wants to do something in and through a people. And that's why we're here. So here we are again. Why Renovation Church? For the glory of God, for the equipping of all of Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship. That's the next sec segment in our mission statement. So today we turn our attention to all of Christ's people and what God wants to do in them, through them, and how that's even going to happen. And not only that, as there's always so much going on in the passage. The end game of what we are striving for and looking forward to in this time and also in the life to come. So Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16. Let's dig in. And if I'm a little choppy today, hey, I found out I was preaching Friday. So uh, give me a little love, okay? Give me a little grace. Uh, we trust in the Lord's Word, not in sermons, amen? We love sermons, they're valuable, the preaching of the Word of God, but it's really the Word of God, the ministry of the Word that we turn to today. And my sermon is simply an attempt to help explain, prove, and apply the Word of God, okay? So let's turn there today. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. 
in saying he ascended, what does it mean, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. And, I'm sorry, verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God abides forever. And all God's people said... Amen. 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 So good. So good. So good. So, if you look at the previous three chapters in Ephesians, it articulates powerfully that God has worked His grace into human history through one man who, com- uh, who completed one work. Jesus in His death and resurrection. God is a gracious God, and He's generous with that grace. He poured it out on a people through Jesus Christ to save them from their sins so that they might be made alive again and restored back into relationship with Him. That is the gospel. If you got bad news all week and you need good news today, start with that. That God has worked His grace into His people through Jesus Christ to save them from their sins, to restore them back into relationship with Him. There's nothing more important or significant than that. And we exist as a church because of that work. You understand that? That chapters 1, 2, and 3 that outlines the work of grace that God has done in Christ, it it is how and why we exist. This This is how we came into existence as the people of God. The work of Jesus. He came, He lived, He died, He rose again. That is how we are even a reality. So let's turn our attention to that ever so uh, quickly as we're going to transition, but let's keep that foundational. You can't move forward in any purpose in life if that foundation is not laid. The only reason we call ourselves a church people of God is because of the work of God pouring out His covenant grace through Jesus Christ to save a people from their sins, to restore them back into relationship with Him. That's why we're a church. It's the work of God to make us who we are. So God poured out grace in Christ, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all, through all, and in all, which has already been said in verse 6. The church, one church, has been made by this grace. But here's what's wonderful to know. Verse 7 tells us that God is not done working. That God is not done pouring out grace to undeserved sinners. God's not done. He continues to work. Christ continues to give. He's a giver. If you're looking for a repeated word or phrase, look for that word. He, ge- he gave. He gave. He gave. That's the kind of God that we worship today. A generous God who gives grace, pours it out. When we think we couldn't have more, when we thought, oh, enough was enough from God, He continues to just pour it out infinitely, abundantly, immensely. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But they had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. So Jesus, right, came from glory and entered into humanity. He descended into earth. But when he had completed his work of dying and rising again, as I was reading with our kids this week, starting the, the Robert McShane, Marie McShane Bible reading plan, you're in Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, with the family. They're asking about the ascension of Jesus. You know, we don't talk about the ascension of Jesus much, do we? We talk about his death, we talk about his incarnation, his death, we talk about his resurrection a lot, but we don't always talk about the ascension of Jesus. Well, right, he descended into the earth, but after his resurrection, after appearing to his disciples and giving them convincing proofs that he was alive, what does the Bible teach? What does Acts chapter 1 tell us? That he what? Ascended. My kids ask me all the time, how come we don't see God? He ain't here. Jesus isn't here. How can we, don't, how can we believe in a God we don't see? Jesus isn't here. He is in heaven, seated at the right hand. So that's why we don't see Jesus. Because Jesus is not here. And that's good. Jesus told his disciples, it's good that I'm not going to be with you. Because if I go and I'm ascended to the Father, to the right hand of the Father, guess what? Then I can pour out, keep giving, then I can pour out the Spirit, the Counselor, the Advocate. And so Jesus is not here. He's ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, but he is still what? Giving pouring out grace into each one of his disciples' followers' lives. And that grace comes in the form of a gift. Right? Christ graces us with a gift. When he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Right? When he, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's giving. He's giving the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Christ is actively giving, providing for, pouring out His grace. And so, I want to just draw your attention to that reality and call you to respond right away. That it is absolutely critical that you recognize that your only hope in life is to be a recipient of the grace of God. Your only hope to have any impact as a follower of Jesus in living into the purposes that He's given you is to be a fully dependent recipient of the grace of Christ. So if you're here today figuring, I'm going to figure this thing out all on my own. I'm going to impress God with my own sense of righteousness. That I'm going to do good more than I do bad and somehow achieve salvation, achieve uh, some sort of standing before God, or, or even us who claim to follow Jesus or do follow Jesus, we can easily say, I'm going to impress God. I'm going to show Him what I can do for Him. And I'm going to conjure up some spiritual strength, some religiosity on my own. And I'm not going to rely on God continually. Understand this, that the nature of salvation and the nature of serving in the body of Christ requires that we are constantly withdrawing and receiving grace from Jesus Christ. You cannot do it on your own. You need Jesus. You have no power or adequacy on your own to do anything for the glory of God. You need the grace of Christ. And yet, the good news that we see is that that is exactly what Christ is doing for His children. He's dispensing grace. He's pouring it out. He's given each one of us. Right? I love that. Verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every one of us who is a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ has received and continues to receive Grace from Jesus Christ. There is not one of you here today that is saved by Christ that is not empowered and receiving grace from Christ to function properly in His body. Someone should say amen to that. Because you might be thinking to yourself, well, maybe 
her or him, but not me. Maybe, maybe God's going to use them, or, or God's going to use that family, but God's not going to use me. I'm not capable of, of serving and influencing and contributing to the body of Christ. I'm just happy to be a part of it. I'm just happy to have been saved. But recognize this, as happy as you are to be saved, you are just as provided for by Christ to contribute and serve and add value to the body of Christ because of what He has given you. So not one of you is indispensable in the body of Christ. Each one of you is a recipient of divine grace from Christ. So if you're wondering today, is God giving His grace to me? Is He giving me a gift for me to use and function within the body of Christ? Is it, don't let that, answer, or let that question be answered today. The answer is absolutely yes. God has given it to you through Christ. He has given you grace to each one of His people in the form of a gift. That's what we see here. But not only that, he's given leadership to equip people for the work of ministry. Look at what it says, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Christ has given every one of us a gift. And he has also provided and given, as the text says, leadership to the church to equip God's people to work, to do the work of ministry. What is going on here? Well, like it's interesting, there's so much chatter about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So if you think I'm going to solve all the chatter this morning, well, I'm not going to. But basically, it's understood here that what you're seeing is another one of these lists like you see in Romans, you see in Corinthians, that aren't meant to be comprehensive. Like, this is the only thing that God has given to the church in the form of leaders. Right? But these still are significant. Apostolic, uh, the apostles and the prophets are, are those who are foundational to the church, right? The apostles, offices. They were foundational to the church. Prophets. We understand that they also were foundational to the church. We see evangelists, right? Those who are preaching and declaring the gospel. Pastors and teachers. Or some would say pastor-teachers, right? Because of the grammar, the way it works out. What's the point here? You see that God has given uh, leadership to the church that focuses, focuses its energy on what? The ministry of the gospel. The proclamation of the word of God. Proclamation of the word of God. And so that is what Jesus has given to the church. Leaders, offices, functions, gifts to the church that focus their energy. Whether you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, a pastor, or teacher, guess what the focus, the common focus of every one of those leaders is? Preaching. Declaring, bringing the gospel where it needs to go. It's the ministry of the word. Okay? So the, Jesus has given these leaders to bring the word to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So leaders instigate, nurture, lead, proclaim, provide what is otherwise lacking through the ministry of the word through the preaching and teaching of the gospel, applying the scriptures. So part of our task as elders here is constantly to be thinking about how we help each and every one of you integrate the Word of God into the fabric of your life. And so that is what we give ourselves to. And we have to model that. We have to think about that. We have to live that out ourselves albeit imperfectly. And so the leadership of the church is provided by Christ to nurture that, to instigate that, to cultivate the ministry of the Word so that it is integrated into every fabric of your life. That is a calling 
that we have. And I want to tell you something. The elders of this church are radically committed to this. Radically committed to this. As pastors and teachers of this local congregation, we are radically committed to seeing that the Word of God is integrated into the fabric of your lives. That's why we are here. That's why uh, elders are present. That's why God has provided pastors and teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For that reason. To help you, to equip you. That's why Sundays, are, we're trying so hard to make it Scripture-saturated. Why are we reading so many passages? Why the call to worship? Why, the, why, the, why, the, why are we reading Revelation during our songs? Why, why, why are we preaching so long? And why are we digging into sentences and grammar? Why are we getting so consumed with it? And why are we reading the Bible during communion? Why are we singing the Bible in our songs? Why are we referring to the Bible in our giving? Why in the world are we giving a scripture for a benediction? Because it's all about the ministry of the Word in the life of God's people. That's all we've got for you. That's why we're here. To equip you. To provide what is otherwise lacking. To teach you. To help you integrate the Word of God into your life. That's why missional communities are here. Yeah, we're on a mission in our community, but we have the truth component. We look at the Scriptures together. When God's people gather, we look at the Scriptures. That's why formation groups instigate and ask you the question, how are you reading the Word of God in your personal devotional life? Because we want to help you integrate the Scriptures into your life. We're not going to tell you what to read. You tell us what, to, what you're reading. We help you. We keep you accountable. Focus communities. Man, we've been announcing that for a month. Why are we doing this? Believe you me, it is not a cure for boredom. We're not basically trying to manipulate you or coerce you into attendance when we say things like, it's not a couple months off, people. We expect to see you there. Pick one. Right? We're not just being mean. It's that we're consumed with you interacting with the Word of God together. We are just absolutely and radically consumed with seeing each and every one of you live into your purpose and grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. And that is only going to happen as you integrate and apply and think and get your eyes on and, and, and meditate in your heart on one thing, the Word of the living God. And so that's why we're here. We're here to equip Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship. How do we do that? Through the preaching of the Gospel, through the ministry of the Word. So please, if you're wondering, what is important for me in 2018? It is that. What is significant? What is valuable? There's nothing more valuable in this life than the revelation of God to humanity as revealed in the Word of God. So please, don't see us as manipulating, strong-arming, trying to bump our attendance. This is about the most significant thing in the world, your relationship with God. There's nothing more pressing any day than us pursuing God and hearing God and, and understanding God and knowing God and preaching about God and understanding Christ and applying the gospel. There's nothing more significant than that ever. And that's why we're annoying with announcements. Because we know this, that there's so much pull in this world. There's so much distraction and there's so many responsibilities there's so many other things that your attention and mind will be drawn to. There's so many things that we've got going on that if we're not adamant, if we're not consumed with our purpose, if we're not committed and praying and bending our knees and crying out to God that you would be equipped to do the work of ministry, things simply won't happen. It's detrimental to the work of God in the world when we're not involved in it. He wants us to participate in it. That's the invitation, right? That's the crazy thing. Yeah, God is doing something in the world. He's pouring out grace into the lives of His people. How's He doing that? Through His people. Through His people. Whatever God is going to do in the world, He's primarily going to do through what? His people. And that's what we see. That the ministry uh, uh, is done by the people. That doesn't mean that 
pastors and evangelists and all don't have to do any work. That doesn't what it means, although it may look like that at times. Someone can finally say amen to these, this sermon. Right? We all do the work. There's a significant, uh, there's a unique role that leadership has. But understand this, that God has given us work to do as the body of Christ. Why renovation? There's work to be done. There's ministry, there's service to be given. So many people approach church, why church? Why am I going? Why, why, why am I a part of it? What's it all for? And oftentimes, and it's not wrong on the surface, so please don't hear me, I'm going to explain. It's not wrong, but I think it, the wrong attitude and the wrong approach, and it's also only half of the story, okay? People say to me often, I, I, I just need to be fed. And you say, oh, that's nice. I just need to be fed too, right? Just need to be fed. I want to be fed. I'm in a season where I just need to be fed. Right? The, the church is a mechanism to simply feed. Right? Understand this. I just said the role of leadership is to equip. Guess what? That's feeding. So if you come to Renovation Church and you're not being fed ever, and, and you talk to us, and you're not getting the Word of God, if you're not being instigated and cultivated in your walk with Him in relationship to the Scriptures, please come see me, see Jeremy, see anyone. Something is off. And we want to take care of that. Our call is to equip you and feed you. We're consumed with it. But understand this, it's, we're not just feeding you constantly for no other reason than to just be fed and enjoy. Right? There are so many people that just consume religious goods and services and, and get chubby spiritually. They know everything about theology. Listen, every podcast there is, they've got it all figured out. But at the end of the day, you never see the fruit of it in their life when it looks like humble service and availability for the purposes of God through the people of God. You don't see them doing anything. And so I want us to hear this call as sensitive as I can be. Guys, Renovation Church exists because ministry needs to be done. <laughs> Work needs to be done. We've got a job to do before Jesus returns. We got work to do, right? We got to get our hands dirty and our feet wet. It's time to get to work. And so even as we think about uh, the, 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 the juxtaposition of rest in work, right? Like so some people would say, well, I work so I can rest, right? No, we rest so we can work. That's a very, very... Uh, important difference to make. We, we, we rest so we can work. Right? We don't work so we can rest. We rest so we can work. God has called us to work. God called us to serve. That's what He's saying here. To do the work of the ministry. And so, yes, we are here to feed you. But understand, there will be times where God will give you the opportunity to feed someone else to serve someone else, to be available to someone else. I think we should come each Sunday with, and, and every interaction that we have with the body of Christ in missional community, whether they're in our home, with a, with a dual expectation that we will be loved and we will love. We will be served and we will serve. We will be fed and we will feed. Because work is to be done in this world. God has purpose for us. We've got a task to do. We've got a job to do. And God has a vision in mind for His people. And I'm going to quickly transition to this as I'm kind of all over the place right now. So, right, God has given grace in the form of gifts. He's given leadership to equip all of Christ's people to do the work of the ministry, to serve, to work. But why? What's the end game? What does it accomplish? Well, as we work, this is what happens. And I love this. Right? I love what God is doing. Christ grows and builds His church. Did you hear that? Christ grows and builds His church until it reaches fullness and maturity. Right? Look at what it says. 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What? For building up the body of Christ. Now, we've always said, we're not here to build a church. And what we mean by that is a building, right? But let's be clear. We are here to build a church, right? Not physically, but spiritually. We are here to build a church. When we work, the church is built. The body of Christ is built up. And if you go down to verse verse 16, the body what? Grows. Each part is working. It makes the body what? Grow. So what happens is this. When we're faithful to work, when we respond to the ministry of the Word, and we are faithful to doing the work of ministry, that God does something supernatural and miraculous. He does what only He can do. He uses us to build and grow His church. So every time, I want you to see, you may not see it on the surface, but I want you to see that there's so much purpose to everything that you do in relationship to one another. There's so much purpose to shoveling the back steps. There's so much service uh, there's so much purpose to running sound. There's so much purpose when you have that family over for dinner that feels lonely. There's so much purpose when you provide a meal for someone who lost a relative. There's so much purpose when you, when you remind a, a doubting brother or sister of the gospel. There's so much purpose when you have coffee with them. You understand this? is All those moments, little by little, inch by inch, grow the church Build the church so that as time goes on, we are slowly and progressively reaching the end which God has made us as a people to be full and mature in Him. That's our vision. Fullness in Christ. Maturity in Christ. I think we don't just get distracted in our vision. We, we diminish it. We minimize it. We don't realize in the day-to-day life, what God is really doing when we work, when we're faithful. God is using us to build and grow the church so that what He wants is accomplished, a mature, full people that worship Him throughout all eternity. We're not there yet, amen? We have not arrived to our final resting place. We have not arrived to our full maturity yet. But we are going there because of the grace of Christ. Because of your service, your work in the body. Because you continue to give time and resources and emotion. Because even though there's so much pressure to not care anymore. Because it gets a little boring at times. You say, no, these are my people. This is my family. This is the church of Jesus. And so you keep serving You keep giving because you're anticipating the day that together we're all full and mature in Jesus Christ. That's where God's bringing us. And that's why we exist. We exist to equip Christ's people for that day. It's not just about being a nice American family with the picket fence. It's not about having a two-car garage and an SUV. Is that the vision for your life? That your kids can have a nice athletic scholarship someday or an academic honors. You're just a nice family where things kind of go well. Is that the vision you have? Do you think that that's what God has in store for you as His child? Is it that small? Is it that simple to just hand down an inheritance someday, someday to your children so that they have an easy, pain-free existence? Is that the vision that you have for your life? You see, I think... We have to think bigger, brighter, more wonderful, more miraculous, more supernatural, more in keeping with what the gospel has actually accomplished. That we become the people that God has intended us to be and that together as the one church, we find our fullness and maturity in Jesus Christ for all eternity. That's a vision. That's something that we could never ask, think, or imagine God to do as He pours out His grace into our lives. Tell me that's not awesome. If that's not awesome, hey, don't come next week because it's going to get boring. Everything's going to be boring here. If that doesn't excite you, find another place because that's the vision we're going after. Maturity in Christ, equipping you, providing for you, 
teaching you, proclaiming the word to you, helping you integrate the gospel into every aspect of your existence so that one day, together, we will be full in Christ. Mature in Christ. No longer children tossed here and there by all the silly doctrines that the world would give us. Uh Uh-uh. Mature and full in Christ. That's where we're going. You wanted a simpler answer? You should have had a different preacher. That's what we're doing. That's where we're going. I can't fully understand what all that means. I just know it's good. I just know that it gives us hope when things are hard. I know that it gives us a sense of purpose and destiny when we're so stuck in the moment. That God is at work. He's doing something in our midst. And every action that we contribute, everything that we do, empowered by Christ, it is building and growing so that we get there. And in some ways, today, this is very unclear, I recognize that. But understand this, in some ways, it's just helpful to back off this sentence and see the story for what it is. Why renovation? We're just a segment in a story that God is writing in human history. It's hard for us. 2017, Northeast, uh, we're small church, you know, in a boring community. It feels, you know, just, just an ordinary people in an ordinary town led by ordinary guys that God is doing extraordinary things and we don't even know it. We're part of the story. I'm pretty intimidated by writing. Okay, I can obviously talk forever. But I'm intimidated by writing. My wife, not so much. She's a really good writer. And she chuckles when she reads my writing. She goes, oh, brother. Uh, But I had to do this, uh, and I have to be careful because it's supposed to be a surprise. So um, I contributed to a book. Oh, yes, I did. I contributed to a book that is going to be published in like 18 months, okay? The task was very simple. 37 of you are going to write 1,000-word contributions to this book. That's it. In 1,000 words, I'm like, that's a lot. Then I realized my sermons are like 20,000 words. I'm dead, (laughs) right? I'm dead. So I write this, and in the moment, it feels so insignificant, right? Like I'm just 1,000 of 37,000 words. And I, I, I was thinking about today, like, it's a small part of the story, small part of the legacy of what one man did in a bunch of men's lives, 37 men, that he cared about and mentored. Just a small part, right? And in some ways, I'm like, it doesn't really matter. No one's going to even notice that I wrote anything because it's just a small part. But really, it, it's not about me, right? It's not, it's not about my contribution. It's about what this man accomplished in the lives of 37 people. And I wonder if that's not how we should feel as we approach this. The honor, the privilege to participate in something that's so much bigger than us. What God is doing in the world and how we are invited and God in His grace and in His sovereignty chooses. Yes, He's doing what He's doing. Amen. But He's including us in it. He's he's commanding us to participate in it. He, he's including us in the process. He's saying, this is how I'm going to work. I'm going to work in you by working through you. Until you all reach maturity. I think that gives us great significance as a church. We're just, we're a small piece in a long story. We're, we're, we're a, a portion of a chapter. But man, we participate together in the story of God who has saved a people by His grace, who is sustaining a people by His grace, who is using a people by His grace that are empowered by the Spirit. And step by step, inch by inch, we are approaching our end. Fullness in Christ. Maturity in Him. Praise God. We may be small, but we're a part of something so massively significant, right? And that's what I want you to see. It may seem insignificant, the work and service that you do. 
You may even decide, I'm not even going to do it anymore. I'm, going to, I'm, just, uh, you know, I'm not making a contribution. You may be discouraged, but understand this. God is using it. Every ounce of effort, every hour you commit, every conversation, every smile, every note, every cup of coffee, it's all being part of the foundation and the building that God is doing to bring His people to maturity and fullness in Jesus Christ. What you're doing is vastly important and significant, albeit not seeming so on the surface. That's why we exist, to equip Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship, mobilizing all of Christ's people, another way to put it, right? Equipping them so that they work, they do the work of ministry, so that the church grows and is built until that end that we all long for, fullness and maturity. Amen? You made it. Let's pray. Father, this church exists for your glory. This church exists for the good of your people. Praise you that you pour out grace in the lives of undeserved sinners. You make them saints. You give them leaders who, when faithful, proclaim the gospel, teach the word in such a way that it feeds and equips and provides for your people so that they work God, you're building and growing your church through us. We praise you and we say thank you that you have invited us in to participate. We don't deserve to be a part of this. God, we confess to you that we are so distracted by things that are less important than this, for sure. Less significant than this, for sure. That the vision that we have for our lives is, it's American, it's not biblical. And so we repent. We turn to you. Light a fire in our soul for the building, growing, maturing of your people. May every joint here work properly so that this congregation is built up in love. Built up in love. Oh God, there's so many people here that need your love. I pray that they would be built up in love today. You're gracious, you're generous, you're merciful, you're loving. Minister to them, we pray. As all over the place and loud as this sermon was, the word is good. It serves us. It equips us. It enlivens us. We are full in Christ, satisfied in Him. All God's people said, Amen.